Amen. Thank you so much, worship band, for leading us this morning as we gather in faith, hope, and love. Dear friends, I'm Pastor John. So good to see you all who have weathered the storm. Here we are. We are sheltered in place. I don't know about you, but yesterday I was out on our deck and I was rolling down the umbrellas and taking them down and bringing in the cushions and didn't want all that stuff to blow away, right? Did, we, did you guys all do that? Get ready for the whatever's coming our way. So. And we're ready now for whatever's coming our way uh, through God's Word. Gracious God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're present with us as we just sung. The power of the Holy Spirit is here in this place, and you have drawn near to us. Now speak to our hearts, Lord, as we open up your word, as we think about our faith in you and where you're guiding us, the areas of our lives that you are working, even behind the scenes, even when we don't sense your work and you are working. And so, Lord, now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be glorifying unto you, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. Amen. All right. Hey, we've been uh, going through a, a mini-series uh, through the letter that, uh, that James wrote to the first century church. Remember, we've thought about this together. James is a brother of Jesus. Uh, we've read through um, the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus uh, is returning to his hometown. Nazareth, and he walks in, and the hometown boy comes in, and, and word about Jesus has preceded him, and he comes in, and some are very excited about seeing Jesus, and yet others are very suspicious, because he speaks with a sense of authority, and he starts to speak about his special relationship that he has with the Father. We also learn that Jesus has brothers and sisters, and as Jesus' ministry continues, and he speaks about his relationship with God, the family gets a little worried. There's a scene in the Gospel of Mark where the family goes to the synagogue where Jesus is teaching, and they try to call him out, and they say, send Jesus out. They're worried because of the things that Jesus has been saying about himself. And all those I am statements that we read in the Gospel of John. I am the light of the world, right? I'm the true vine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's been saying these things. And so the family is starting to worry. The religious leaders are getting upset. It could really harm the family socially in their small town of Nazareth. So they, they try to call them out of the, the synagogue. They're worried. And Mark says this, the family's worried that Jesus is losing his mind. It must not have been easy to be the brother of Jesus in a family when Jesus is walking around doing these things. James kind of goes uh, in the background, and for the next three years of Jesus' public ministry, we don't hear much of James. But we believe and can assume that James heard about Jesus' ministry, heard about how Jesus fed 5,000 people or more. Heard about how Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. Learned how Jesus walked on water. Learned how Jesus calmed the storm. Learned how Jesus was calling people to follow him. And so James thinks about these things. 
And when Jesus raises, is risen from the dead, the resurrection, everything changes for James. We learn that James is there when Jesus ascends into heaven. We learn that James is there at Pentecost. We learn that James begins to become a leader in the church. And when all the other apostles and the disciples, they take off and they go, as Jesus told them, go out into all the world, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They all go. James stays in Jerusalem. And there he is leading the church in Jerusalem. And so this is the letter that we have James, the brother of Jesus, writing to the first century church in Jerusalem. And we've seen how James wears several different hats. The first hat that he put on was was James the encourager. Encourager of faith. Put your faith in God. Endure. And last week we saw how James put on the hat of the theologian. James the theologian. And he spoke about the promise of God. And the depth of the promise that we could trust in. The character and the nature of God. The nature and the character of God is a God of promise, which brings hope. And this morning, James puts on a different hat. The hat of a shepherd. The hat of a pastor. And he's going to encourage the first century church as a pastor. For their congregational vitality. To help them in their life together. It's a very important theme for James the congregation, is to care for one another. So, let's see how James now encourages the first century church. Chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 7. If you have it in your own personal Bible, or it's in the sheet of paper in your bulletin, or if you're at home, please turn to there in your own Bible. It's going to be on the screen as well. This is what James says to the first century church. Be patient, Therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord, the farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Friends, I picked this passage through the Holy Spirit months and months ago, and now it's raining. The late, is this considered a late rain? We don't know. We're in Southern California. We don't know when it's late rain. You also must be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my beloved, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's just the same phrase as Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount. He learned this from his brother. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. We're the Lord. Thanks be to God. James' vision of congregational growth and vitality includes two very important things that come out of this passage of Scripture. Two things that practices that he believes are essential for this church, for his congregation and for congregations to follow. Acting in love towards one another, reflected in patience, and praying for one another. He says this, beloved, beloved, we thought about this a little bit last week. It's the same word that comes out of the voice of heaven when Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism out of the Jordan. He, he hears, this is my son, the beloved, whom I'm well pleased. The church has adopted this phrase for its own, and we call one another beloved. Beloved, God has called us beloved. We're his beloved children. Here, James the shepherd, James the pastor, he has his shepherd pastor hat on, and he's encouraging them, saying, you are beloved. And beloved is being patient and suffering. Those who know about these things remind us that Christians in the first century, the persecuted church, they were very anxious for the Lord's return. The Lord's coming soon. The Lord's coming soon. You would hear that throughout the New Testament and all the letters written by Paul and and Peter and John and and here in James. The Lord is near. He's coming back soon. And yet, in the same breath, they had to learn patience. That's what James is reminding the first century church. Be patient. Many believed it would be in their lifetime. And it goes without saying that every generation has prayed, Lord, come, come. Come, Lord Jesus, as you have promised. Establish your kingdom here and now among us as you have promised. In the times of trouble and distress, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, bring your justice, bring your peace, bring your love, your grace, bring your healing mercy into our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. And every generation has had to learn practice of patience. James, like his brother, employs a parable, right? And here we have James speaking about a farmer who plows a field and sows the seeds. I don't know if you've driven up the I-5 and through the Central Valley. There are times you can drive up there and you can see a tractor pulling and plowing the, the open field and and let's say you drive up there, you got a little vacation ahead, you know, you go up there and you see the farmer plowing the field and, and maybe you've been gone several weeks or maybe a month and you come back and you see that same field and it looks exactly the same. Nothing's happened. It looks like a barren plot of dirt. The farmer knows different though, doesn't he? The farmer knows there's something in there in the ground and the seeds will bloom and there will be a crop. James is speaking about how to be patient, patient for the Lord's return, enduring patience. You see, God is at work even when we don't see it. 
God is at work among us. And we're at work together, dear friends. We're planting seeds. We're nurturing, cultivating the earth, cultivating our spiritual lives, cultivating the spiritual lives of those that we are called to serve, planting seeds. And often we don't see the harvest. We're being reminded here as James, reminds the first century church, be patient. And that patience leads into patience with one another. Beloved, be patient with one another as God has been patient with you. James teaches that our timetable is not necessarily always God's timetable. In our frantic, immediate information society, I mean, I've been tracking this storm on my phone. I mean, it's like, wait, hurry up, fill in, fill in, where, where is the storm? You guys, has anybody else been doing that? Yeah, you've all been doing that. We want to know right now, right now, and it bleeds into our relationships, doesn't it? We want now. Hurry up. Tell me the end of the story. What's going on? Get to the point. Patience with one another, according to James, is essential for congregational growth and vitality. Being patient with one another. When we lack patience, we start to grumble, says James. We grumble about this or that. Part of our anxiety about the future, we grumble. Why don't they just hurry up? James says, look how the Lord has been compassionate and patient with you. Be patient with one another. Acting in love towards one another begins with patience. The second thing that James brings out is about prayer. Prayer and faith. As one has stated, prayer is where heaven and earth meet. A thin place, as we've talked about before. Where the veil between heaven and earth is very thin, very fine. For James, prayer is not calling out into the dark, into some empty space, an unknown God. No. It means what it means, and it does what it does, as one has said. As James reminds us, God has promised to be near. James says, God is near. The Lord is near. Remember one of my favorite passages of Scripture, the Apostle Paul writes to the first century church in Philippi. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all. Your forbearance. Your patience. And then he says this. Why? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Often I forget about how close the Lord is in my everyday. God is near to us. Present with us. By the power of His Spirit. James reminds us that God has promised to be near. God is near to those who draw near to God. Heaven and earth meet when we pray, dear friends. In the Spirit, we call on the name of the Lord. And it means what it means, and it does what it does, because God is near to us. And in some sense, when we pray for others, or we're praying, here we have one foot in the world, and we're praying in this broken, complex, anxious, fearful world. And we have another foot in heaven in some ways, right? Praying in the Spirit, God is near, giving us the words to share, giving us the power that He calls to our broken 
world, and a person stands one foot in one place in trouble, in sickness and woundedness, and the other foot in a place of healing, in a place of hope, forgiveness. James believes that his brother taught that every Christian not only has the opportunity to pray and the privilege to pray, but the responsibility to pray. To pray, it's a call to pray for one another, pray for the sick, prayer for the least and the lost. Prayers for our nation, prayers for our world, prayers for those who need to experience God's grace and love in their lives. Likewise, James urges the church to be honest with one another, doesn't he? He says, those who are rejoicing, uh, cheerful, sing praise. Those who are sick or wounded, let the church know so they can care for you. Be honest and open with one another. Allow them to care for you. In the case of illness, he urges them to help through medical resources. Those medical resources that are available and the prayer and support of the church and the family. He calls the church to pray together, anointing with oil. That verse, similar to the parable Jesus taught in the Good Samaritan. A man is wounded, laying on the side of the road, half dead. And the first thing this guy does is anoint him with oil. In the first century, oil was seen as medicinal. It was a a way of of healing. It was a first aid for those who were wounded. A wounded man on the side of the road. And for James, prayer is real and has real meaning and real power. And as his brother never hesitated to pray for healing and pray for others, James believes the church should always be a church of prayer. And never hesitate to pray for one another. So, dear friends, we have a special thing planned for us this morning. In the spirit of James' letter and the teachings of anointing with oil, um, we thought it would be a a good thing to do that this morning, to anoint one another with oil, or have an opportunity to be anointed with oil. And so we're going to do that. We're going to have three stations. Caleb and Leanna and I are going to be up here and you don't have to come forward, but if you'd like to come forward and receive anointing of oil, where you can have an anointing of oil on your forehead or you could have it on your, on your wrist. Now, the oil is not magical. The oil is a gesture of faith. It's an agency reminding that we are in the spirit of God's healing and God's love. We all need healing We all have areas of our lives that are broken. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's emotional or spiritual. James draws that out in his letter. Perhaps you are wrestling with something hidden, a hidden wound, and you need healing. I encourage you to come forward and trust God in that moment. Also, maybe you have somebody in your life that needs healing. Maybe you come forward on their behalf. They're not here this morning. Maybe you come forward on their behalf so that you can stand there in their place in faith and in hope and in love. As James reminds us, God is near, and he's near here now. 